we want you to get a note sheet. Today, I'm, I'm going to dive down a little bit in Titus chapter 2. And so I definitely want you to be able to track with that. Um, you don't need the note sheet to track, but uh, it might make it a little bit easier. It's kind of set up like a crossword where there's a little fill in the blank. And Mike, if there aren't note sheets out there, I need to know that. All right, there's some more. Fantastic. We're in Titus chapter two today. And before I get started, I want to do something I don't usually do. I don't usually point out the visitors and make them stand up and say why they're here. Turn around so we can all look at you. We, we usually don't do that. And we won't. <laughs> but you're all, uh, you're all welcome. We have a lot of people visiting. This is, uh, this is old home week. The Burks are back with us. Uh, for this week, um, we, I've already told everybody that you're not staying, so they know not to you know, put on the, the pressure. Um, <laughs> but hey, we, we can if you want. So um, we're thrilled to have you. Uh, my children have been on their tiptoes. We're Aiden and Jordan. They got to, you know, glad to see you. Um, and uh, welcome. I'm glad to see you today. I, we haven't met yet, but by grandma, okay. And uh, we're thrilled at all of you. And um, especially I want to point out Walter. Hey there, Walter. That's Wal Walter Novacek. Hello, Walter. Welcome to Preston City Bible Church. You heard us on the radio. Your fault. Radio spot. Walter heard us. He lives in Norwich. And uh, thank you all for helping get Walter. I'm going to going to pick him up. And uh, you're welcome. And I want to tell you something, Walter, as I introduce you to Preston City Bible Church, and as, as I introduce Preston City Bible Church to you, this group of people, this room is full of people with the love of the Lord Jesus Christ in them. And do you know why it's there? He healed you. Amen. Well, these people here are part of God's family, Walter, and uh, you're very welcome to be here. We're, we're thrilled that you're here. All right. Titus chapter two today, please. Last week, we had a good time, just a fantastic time talking about the responsibilities of the various groups by age group, various people in the local church by their age group, the responsibility for how to conduct ourselves in the household of God. And chapter two, verse one begins with Paul's instruction to Titus that he needs to speak the things, speak the things. But you speak those things that are fitting or proper for sound doctrine. And what are the things? It's conduct. It's the way we behave. That's what he's talking about. The things, and you, you get that from reading the passage. The things he's talking about are not the doctrines themselves, but how you live to live out the doctrines, how you live to be appropriate for what you've been taught, for the word of God, for the Lord Jesus and his coming, for your eternal destiny, for God's wonderful call on your life to be part of his project now. Matters of your Christian conduct. And he starts off with the elder men. The older men are to be sober, dignified, sound-minded, healthy in faith, love, and endurance. You men are the figurehead. You're the hood ornament. You're the thing everybody sees. Everybody should be looking to you. And when they see you misbehaving, well, that tears down all kinds of, of, uh, of strictures and helps that we have in life that you provide us. The elder men know better. And so they've learned to behave better. They don't jump off the tailgate. 
they know better, right? They know to get two people to help them with something instead of just trying to show how much they like getting a hernia. They know, they know better, right? They're wise and dignified and we could all learn something by watching them. That's the idea. And that's the only thing he says about them. Now, the, the concept of bearing an example, being an example for people is all through this passage. It's the whole thing. Jesus is our ultimate example and those who follow him provide a, a, an echo, a second witness for others to say, well, what's going on with this? Well, it's about Jesus and I'm just following him. And so he's the real example. And then we're kind of secondary examples. And so elder men are this, then elder women have a, a character requirement and then a teaching requirement. Elder women, older women are to be also dignified in the same way in behavior, the things fitting are your behavior, your conduct, reverent, not devils. That's the literal. It's malicious gossips is really what that means or malicious accusers. The word in Greek is diabolos, not devils, nor enslaved to much wine, a teacher of what is good, a kalo didaskalos, a kalo, a good, a teacher of the good. That's what it means. And then for what? What kind of teaching are you called to do? This is not popular in the body of Christ today with the movement, with feminism in the secular culture, ha having leached into the church. Uh, this is taken to mean something that it doesn't mean. And we'll go through what it means right here. And we spent some time last week in order that they may sound mind. They will bring the other women to a sound mind. They will cause them to have a sound mind. So for needs is to instruct someone in sensibleness or sound mindedness. Come back to your senses, young ladies, is what is the idea. Or here's what sensible living looks like. So they will, I've, I've literally rendered it sound mind as a verb. The younger women to be lovers of husbands. See, that's what you're teaching older women, younger women to do is to love their husbands. You're teaching them to love their children. That's the requirement. To be of themselves sound-minded, pure, homemakers, or busy at home, good, subordinate to their own husbands. There's no other word that better renders hupotasso to place oneself under. And in this case, the authority of the husband. That's the design. So that the word of God will not be spoken against. It's not about feeling good in your house. It's not about maximizing your sense of potential. These things will happen. It's not about being more because I know I could be more. Well, there, you can be no more than what God wants you to be. That's the highest and best for you. That's the nature of God. This is about the gospel. This is about the mission. It turns out, now watch this. The secret to life is recognizing that it's not about me. That's the secret. If a church will pander to you and say, it is all about you and let's, let's stroke you and, and take care of you and, and it's all about you. If a church will do that, they're doing you a disservice because there's no joy there. There's no hope there. Our hope is we just saying is in the Lord. So actually repenting, I mean, daily dying to self and saying, it's not about me. It's about him is the only hope you and I have for a real full and fulfilling life. That's really God's design. And so he takes it all the way to the gospel. The word of God will not be spoken against to be equipping the younger women to deal with the pressures and hardships that come from being a young to a middle-aged to a fully mature woman. It's hard. It's a hard run. It's a hard life for everyone. There are hardships that everyone faces in a sense, because of your own sinful nature, you're a victim of your own bad choices. And in a sense, because of the world and Satan's system opposing you, you're a victim of the world's opposition. And yet the Bible never calls you a victim. It says you're a victor. You're more than conquerors because you're in Christ. So we all have hardships. We all have troubles. And God has provided in the institution of the local church, 
a household of households, that family relationship where younger girls, you are able to go to older women. You should be able to go to them and receive encouragement for how sound mindedness looks in the circumstance. And it's, it's a, it's a discipling work that involves the tough stuff of womanhood. You, you older women have to be this kind of character, this sound minded character so that you can sound mind the younger women so they can love their husbands and their children that they themselves can be sound minded and pure homemakers, good subordinate to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be spoken against. I know I sound like I'm on another planet. I'm from a, I'm from a totally different world, but Hey, you've just sang, you have just sung old songs with us. We are in a different world. You walk through those doors and I know you just went back 50 years in time. But that's just because of the chaos and the decline of the world around us, the culture that you live in, not because the word of God is irrelevant. In fact, it shows you just exactly how far things have come, that these are offensive words instead of words of life that equip young women and older women to get past their own arrogance, to get past their own high view of self and say, I've got work to do and I'm not there yet. Remember, there's two kinds of arrogance that'll stop this older women ministry to younger women. There's two arrogances. One is the younger woman, you can't tell me anything. I'm too arrogant to learn, so I'm unteachable, which is the default setting of the children today. I know it is. And, and it's our default setting from, the, from birth, most of us, unless God brings some humility through our lives, through our parents or some other means, we're all arrogant. We all think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And the other arrogance is the elder women think that they're too busy to obey God. They think that their life, what they're doing, their thing is more important than God's thing. And that's a, a gross, a horrible arrogance. I hope you can see that. So um, this, is, this is household stuff. Now, those of you who are not part of this church family, I hope you see, we have just all been equipped to say, okay, there are some, some, there's, a, there's an expectation in the Bible that God has for us. And there may be some adjustments that we might need to make to how we think about our role or the way we fit in. There may be some adjustments that, that we have to say, I, I was thinking this way, but the Bible says it's this way. So we have a little repentance, a little change of mind there that the word of God has brought to us. But I hope you could also see, imagine how, just, just think, you, you, you visitors, imagine how hard it would be if you were isolated. If you didn't have your mom, your young, your young mother, and your mother's not available and you don't have any friends, and you're in a new place. In the early church, your husband's lost his job and we're you know, completely rejected from our social circle. We've been kicked out of the synagogue and you're having trouble with thrush. The baby's, the baby's sick and we don't know what's wrong. And the, the doctor doesn't really you know, know and he's, he's saying, that's ah, not a big deal, but, but you, you need help. Can you just imagine how nice it is that there might be a surrogate mother? some older woman who has been through and seen and done a few things. You know, we, we know a few things because we've done a few things. We've seen a few things and, and can come alongside her and help. That's the way God set up the church to function. He wants us to care for one another and help each other. It's a great witness. And I want you insiders to understand if we'll be this way, we're a witness to the world because we're loving one another. Now let's dig down in verse six. The younger men, in the same way, Titus, you encourage them to be of sound mind. Your notes kind of start here. You younger men, in the same way, you need to encourage the younger men to be of sound mind. The word encourage, parakaleo, is a command. I put it in red because it's a command. You have a job to do. 
you need to do this. Now notice older women to the younger women. Now Titus, you the pastor that's sent to minister here, you are going to work on the younger men. Interesting, isn't it? That's, that's the way Paul does it. Encourage the young men to be of sound mind. Same word, sophroneo. And then he says, concerning all things. This is a place where the verse break is really sad. They're supposed to be of sound mind concerning all things. They're supposed to be sound minded about everything because everything relates back to God and you don't have a sound mind about anything until you connect it to God. He's the sovereign of the universe. He's the maker of all things. He's the one from whom righteousness and true ethics flows. It comes out of God. So if you want to know what's really right or what we should or what, what ought, that's a God question. So all things, this is concerning all things. And Titus, you've got the deposit. You've got the teaching that Jesus has given through the apostles and he's received from Paul. And so he has the information. So he says, concerning all things, and that follows from the last thing. And then he says, by showing yourself to be a pattern, a tupas, a type, an example of good works. He says, you need to be an encouragement. You need to encourage the younger men to be sound-minded in all things, concerning all things, by showing yourself to be a pattern of, or an example of good works. Now, Pastor Dave, in the pattern of Titus, who's a pastor to a church, not Cretans. The Cretans are always liars, Paul says in chapter 1. Prestonians aren't always liars. Paul is sending Titus into a challenging ministry context. There's false teaching and there's bad cultural influences and all kinds of problems in building up the body of Christ there. But he says, here's your job. You need to encourage them in all things by showing yourself to be a pattern or an example of good works. A lot of times, um, extroverted people like myself will show up to show ourselves just so that you can see us. Yeah, that got a cringe. Eww. For a lot of people, and we, a lot of times we think of them as narcissists, they feel like that the curtain is closed just so that they can reveal themselves. Lucky for you, I showed up, that kind of thing. I once had a woman tell me that when her pastor came in the room, she felt the Holy Spirit. He showed right up right then. Believe me, in that situation, she had been cultivated, primed, groomed to feel that. I wouldn't be surprised if the drummer had one of those chime sets in the back. And when the pastor walked out, here he comes. I'm here. Too much? All right. Uh, but I do point out now it's our tendency. If we're going to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, if we're going to say it's not about me, it's about God. I've said it like 15 times today. If we're going to do that, then I'm going to struggle with this phrase, show yourself. But that's what he says. Now, Jesus tells us, do not let our good works be seen by men so that they'll glorify us to receive glory from men. But he also says, let your good works show before men so that they'll glorify your father in heaven. So the answer is why you do what you do, but you are being put, Titus here, and as an example for everyone else, you are being put in the fishbowl. You are being shown that you're in the arena. You're up on the stage and you're on display and that's God's design. You show yourself, Titus, to be a pattern, uh, an example of good works in the doctrine or the teaching, indestructibility or in integrity, dignity, incorruption, and sound message, literally which is beyond reproach so that the opponent will be put to shame. 
We already heard it. The older women are going to sound mind the younger women to do their job for the Lord in the household, to be what God wants them to be in the household. And, and that's going to change the world because they're going to disciple the kids. They're going to you know, help their husbands and the family is going to be successful as a, as a mission agency to represent Jesus Christ and make disciples. That's what that household is going to do because the house wife, the wife is going to be the soul of that household. That's Titus 2 womanhood. But he says, so that, so that the word of God won't be spoken against. It's for the gospel. And he does it again. You have to be a good example, Titus, in your teaching so that the opponent will be put to shame. So that the person that speaks against will be put to shame because he has nothing bad to speak concerning us. Titus, you are branded. You're, you, this, there's, a, there's a trademark logo at the bottom of everything you say. Because not you're from Paul, but because Paul is from Christ. And Christianity is the message of Jesus from the Father. Some people cannot get, wait to get away from here. I told a fellow yesterday at the beach, I said, um, I, said the, I often say this, but some of you are here because I said this to you. Uh, I said, uh, the, I, we, we go to Preston City Bible Church. We've been there for about 14 years. We love it. It's little, it's, it's a wonderful group of believers. It's a little antique building. It's like 206 years old now. And uh, we just love it. But the, you know, there are some problems, like it's the most uncomfortable seats that we could find. And if you're feeling that, amen, if you're like, no, I like it, then my, my psychology is working. Um, but I, you know, I said, the people are great, but the pastor, he will put you to sleep. He is so boring. And then they'll ask me what I do. And I'm like, I'm the pastor. So, um, all right. Um, the, the reason for being an example is because there's someone watching. The reason for being an example for you to be an example or to follow the example of the Lord and then by that cut an example yourself for others is because there are people watching. And some of those that are watching are opponents. And there is an adversarial environment that we're in. And that's the nature of the mission of the gospel. You're going to take fire for getting it right. Be sure of it. So he says, you want to encourage the young men concerning all things by showing yourself to be a pattern or an example of good works in the doctrine or teaching, show an example of integrity, dignity, incorruption, and sound message, which is beyond reproach. So notice we went from general, all things to specific in your teaching from the general, you need to be an example of good works in all things. And then specifically the teaching. Okay. Because that's his primary work so that the opponent will be put to shame because he's nothing bad to speak concerning us. So what Paul is doing is setting Titus up to take the first step in the arena. He is going to throw the first punch. He is going to make the assertive move and take the initiative. And that is going to be difficult for the opponent to shut down, to oppose. Because he's sound in what he says. Because his, as we say today, his finger's in the Bible. Now, I want to chew that down with you a little bit. And I think it's 22. The top 22 points are thoughts about that. And this is in your notes. And it's an experiment today. We, we do this with uh, DM2 and with Camparete to help the kids kind of stay focused. And I think that there's so many words in some of these points that occurred to me. I don't want to say these things in a shorter fashion. So I'll just give them to you and you can fill in the blanks. All right. So if you like crosswords, um, this will be fun. And if you don't, uh, you still have to count it all joy, uh, my brethren. Okay. 
the believer in the arena. When I say the arena, I mean Paul is telling Titus to show himself. And by showing himself something, he is shutting down the opponent. And that's, that's hard for some people to accept, that I have to live my life in a way recognizing other people are watching. First, what we do in the gospel ministry is on display and in conflict. That's your summary of what Paul's doing in uh, Titus 2, 6 through 8. It's on display and in conflict. Now there's a pattern here. You have blanks on your sheet and you have something in bold on the screen because those go together. What we do in the gospel ministry is on display and in conflict. Let me make a case for you, beloved. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm talking to you. I'm not talking to the seminary students. I'm not talking to the people that are deacons and so they serve because deacon means servant. I'm talking to you who are believers in Jesus Christ. And I want to remind you how you got there. How did I become a believer in Jesus Christ? Because I want to tell you what you're doing since you are. How you got there and you who are new here or visitors, please understand the reason I could tell Walter that the people here have the love of the Lord Jesus Christ in them because God put it there. The reason I can say that is because of what Paul says in Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, where Paul says the whole thing for by grace, you've been saved for by grace. That's the gift of God by God, giving you his salvation by God, sending his son for you. And that's the only thing is God, what God did by grace. You literally are having been saved. You are now benefiting from the transaction that happened when you first trusted in Christ by grace. You've been saved through faith. What you do with regard to the grace of God is you believe in Jesus Christ as your savior. God is, here's the gospel. God is giving you eternal life. He's offering it to you, right? Anybody that can't say Jesus died for your sins. And I don't know if you're a believer or not, but he died for your sins has not really understood the new Testament. Not as well as we should. He died. He didn't die for the few that will believe. It says he died for the sins of the world. For by grace are you saved through faith, you believing in Christ and that grace through faith, salvation, the whole clause is what the, the Greek refers to. And that grace work of salvation is not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not as a result of our works, lest any man should boast. There is nothing you and I bring to the cross except our sin. And there's nothing we do about our sin at the cross except receive forgiveness by believing in Jesus Christ as our savior. Please understand, some are out there saying that you really have to repent of all your sins. Think about this. If you have to repent of all your sins and you don't even know God and you don't have the spirit of God in you and you don't have the word of God in you through the spirit, how do you even know what your sins are? Oh, well, I know I lied. Okay, you may know some sins, but do we really think we have a full grasp of what opposes God's agenda? Do we really think as an unbeliever, as someone turning to God, that we fully understand our sins? You could say, well, I mean, repent of sin in general. How about come face to face with the truth, the ultimate repentance, the ultimate change of mind, that you are broken and can't fix yourself, that somebody besides you has to do it. And that, my friends, is the repentance of the arrogance that we're born with. We all think more of ourselves than we ought to think. The repentance of our sin in the gospel presentation, I am absolutely convinced, is the recognition 
that I am a sinner and I need a savior. The recognition. Because if you're going to hold someone down and say, you've got to put away all your sins before you become a Christian, no one could ever become a Christian. Am I saying that sin is unimportant? No, I'm saying sin is worse than that message proposes. There's not some little, uh, you know, I feel bad for my sins thing going on here. If you do good, good, because it separates you from God. And, but the, but the issue is not how you feel. The issue is what is your status before God? And it is broken and separated and headed to the lake of fire if you don't have Christ. So what do you do about that? I had one professor from a reformed persuasion seminary say, pray for mercy. That was his gospel presentation. Well, it turns out that we have better than the professor in seminary. We have the apostle Paul, who with Silas said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. What you need to do with your sin is trust in Jesus as your savior from your sins. It's faith alone in Christ alone. Your virtuous choice to say no to my sins does not save you. And I, I just, I hope you understand sin is a bigger deal than that. It's more comprehensive. It's more effusive through your life than that. And that's why the Bible describes the new birth as dying to the sin nature. Getting a new, a, the new life is dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So what am I saying? I'm saying let's don't be frivolous with the issue of faith alone in Christ. And for those that would call what I'm saying easy believism with, with no respect for that position, that what I'm talking about is easy believism. There is a repentance in that heart as well. There needs to be repentance from that thought. And I'll tell you why we need to repent from the thought to change our thinking about the faith alone in Christ is easy believism because, because it is very fearful to say, I have nothing to offer God. It is a very humbling moment to say, I am not right before him and I can't get right before him. It is the moment of truth that sets you free when you say, all I can do is open the hands of faith and receive what God alone is offering freely by his grace. Beloved, this is the gospel. It is nothing but what Jesus did for me. And what I do is a little bit more than nothing at all in the sense, and it's not even me doing a work. It is the receiving by faith, the work that was done for me. Those, again, finally, those that would say that to receive the gift of God's grace by faith is a work that they would add some sort of human merit to that faith. Beloved, that's poison. It isn't a work from the old Testament to the new Testament faith recognition of the faithfulness of the other is the complete rejection of the, the faithfulness of myself and depending on the goodness of the other. It's the opposite of a work that carries any merit with God. Your faith is the issue. What we do in the gospel ministry is on display and in conflict. And so I'm talking to those who by grace through faith are, uh, are saved, not by their works in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. But then listen, you who are saved by grace through faith, you're created new in Christ in Ephesians 2, 10 for the good works that he prepared for you to walk in. You're a new creature in Christ and you have works that God wants you to walk in. And it's his grace to you that you do. Do you want a good job? Do you want to be 
uh, a, a, a very important executive in a Fortune 500 company? Do you want to be pulling down a huge salary every year? Do you think that would be a privilege to have that? Most people do. Most people think that to be a wealthy person or just the beneficiary of a, of, a, of a big project and say, I'm part of something important. Most people would say that's a desirable thing. Well, that's the works that God has prepared for you in advance and they have eternal rewards. Second, the fact that we're on display and in conflict is true for Titus. It's true for Titus, the vocational minister and those who follow him as their example. And what that means is that everybody's included. Don't do the medieval... Uh, error of saying that the church is the clergy. And so you people who are not the church come to the church for your grace. Don't make that mistake. That's one of the great errors of uh, the historic Christian church. Now, the church is every believer. The assembly or the called out ones are all those who believe in Christ in this age. And so all those who have drunk of one spirit and first uh, Corinthians twelve thirteen. So if Titus, the vocational guy, like the pastor, and all those that follow his example is included, then it's everyone. Hope you can understand. Third, pareco, P-A-R-E-C-H-O, pareco is the verb to show. I even put it in your notes. And it has broad, uh, it has a broad meaning. I'm sorry, it's a range of meanings. And this broad range of meanings includes to present, to give over, to show, even to provide. You could use this word in Greek for a lot of things. It's kind of a drip pan word. But in this case, he means provide yourself an example, present yourself. In other words, let's remove the curtains and live out our faith in front of one another. Fourth, the object of the verbal notion in that word to show is yourself. You show, he doesn't say show an example. He says, show yourself to be an example. What's the difference? Well, I don't want to be on display. I don't want to live in a fishbowl. I don't want to be that dessert in the truck stop that's sitting under the dish. You know, talking about the little, little case that's got the dessert and spinning around and you hope it's fresh. It looks good, but I don't know. I don't want to be that person that's on display. If I was in the beluga whale tank at Mystic Aquarium, well, I'd want all the glass to be uh, smoked glass and nobody could see in there. But the problem with that is nobody could see the beluga whales. And we came to see the beluga whales. You are in a fishbowl. You are on display. And that's what's being said by show yourself. Fifth, this phrase by showing yourself is the way Titus will encourage the young men to be of sound mind. This is how he'll, he'll do it. He'll encourage the men young men to be a sound mind when he says, by showing yourself an example. Sixth, showing yourself an example is not about self-glorification or self-promotion. The bold things went away because we didn't update the slide, but the, 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 the blank here in, ver in number six is showing yourself an example is the opposite of glorifying yourself. It's not about you. The minute it becomes about you, you're not doing it anymore. It's not, it's, it, you're doing some other project, some other self-advancement. Seventh, and the example is of good works. Show yourself an example of good works. The example he's proposing is that you're an example for others of good works. The young men need to see that so that they can copy that. 
what I'm saying, you'll hear on uh, leadership podcasts and leadership books about being in the trenches with the troops and leading by example. They've ripped it off of the gospel. Jesus came here among us, walked before the Father with the objective of pleasing his Father. And then by that, Peter tells us, 1 Peter 2 becomes our example. Eighth, providing yourself an example of good works means the doing of God's word, that's the good works, doing what God's word says in God's power, not on your own strength and the power God has supplied for you, which is through God's spirit. And that's for God's pleasure. And so to make it about me, that's you really, we just really need to put that aside. It's about him from beginning to end. And that's the best that you could hope for in this life. That it's about him. I'll say it again. If it's about you, you lose, you lose everything. If you let go of you and make it about him, you gain everything. That's the design. And we all need to come to that moment of change of mind every day. I contend every day of our lives. What is it about us that we wake up and think it's about me today? Some of you men are like, I don't know, why are people like that? And some of your wives are like, why is he like that? <laughs> Ninth, the works of the Christian life are grace works prepared and empowered by God, like we mentioned in Ephesians 2.10. These are grace works. This is not working to be saved. This is working out your salvation. This is working as a consequence and the power of your salvation. Please understand, you're not working in, your, in the power of God, the Holy Spirit, who's only given to believers so you can find out at the end of your life whether you were a believer or not. That's insane. That is the, the tendency from Augustine and those that follow him on those Augustinian monks who became the reformers, and they were both Calvin and Luther, both Augustinians, they both, they, they have this tendency to jam phase one truth, whether you're a believer or not, into phase two truth, whether you're walking by the spirit as a believer. They jam these things together so that you never know if you're saved. You never know who you are. You never have that security and that assurance of your identity in Christ. And this is the problem with theology is, you know, some guys had some great ideas they turn out to be wrong. So we go back to the Bible. These are prepared and empowered by God. And how do I know that you are working out your salvation? Because Paul commands it in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. He says, God's working in you, both to work and to do of his pleasure. That's only true of believers. Ephesians 2, 10 says, before telling you to get to work, it says, you are his workmanship. He crafted you and he created you new in Christ. This is past work that God did. He's only talking to believers there, you see? So that, that theology model that jams it all together so that you never know if you're a Christian and you're persevering to the end to see if you really make it, it's adding works to the simple transaction of faith alone in Christ. It, it always backloads the gospel with works and we don't do that. We say those who are saved have the privilege by God's grace to be part of dad's enterprise, dad's work. And that's the greatest privilege of life. Tenth. Titus is supposed to be an example of good works for the young men in all things. I want to bring that up in all things. He's supposed to be an example of good works for the young men in all things. I am aware of this and have been aware of this since before coming to be the pastor here. And I have to confess to you that at times, no. But I want to say on balance, yes. 
And I don't mean 51% of the time. But this is, this is the standard. Now, what happens when you have a high standard? What happens when you have a high standard? You either meet it or you don't. What do we tend to do when we consistently don't meet the high standard? What do we do with that? We bring ourselves down and say, okay, I'm on JV now. Nope, going down to eighth grade. Peewee League. Ah, participation trophy. We, we, we change the standard, but the Bible never does that. It always says God's standard is, remains the same. We always keep it in view. And when we fall short of it, what do we do? We own it. We tell God, and that's 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 11th, what specific area of good grace works will make Titus an example for the young men? What's the specific it's the teaching. What specific area of grace works according to 2, 6, and 7? It's his teaching and doctrine, didascalia. Twelfth, the teaching or doctrine is the main area in which the pastor's exemplary good works will be specifically evident. The word there is specifically evident. See, that, that pastor's vocation is the ministry of the gospel. He's got stonemasons. He's got Roman slaves that are household slaves. He's got uh, all kinds of just everyday people in Crete. But he is the guy who works in his vocation in the gospel. And so he's an example of hard work in that task, specifically evident. 13th, this is because the teaching is the pastor's primary work. I got that from the Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 21, verses 13 through 15, when he called Peter and said, do you love me? When Peter agreed that he loved him, he said, then feed my sheep. All the patting of the little woolly's heads, all the singing sweet songs to them so that they can go to sleep. All the things that shepherds do are irrelevant if the sheep starve to death. Now you don't want a shepherd who is force feeding you this is good grass, right? There's a right way to do it, but we have to keep in view that this is the mission. This is the job. This is the task before us. Teaching is the primary work of the pastor. That's why Paul says in general, you need to be an example of good works and then in the teaching specifically. Therefore, number 14, if the pastor is a solid example of good grace work in his teaching, then, this is why I gave you the note sheet because I, I made long points, then, the other young men are doubly equipped. That's the blank. They're doubly equipped to be good workmen in their labor. Why? Because the teaching should equip them because they're, they're learning to love God and to serve God and do what they do for God. But they also have that man who's working hard in front of them and they say, I want to work hard too. That's the idea. If the pastor is a solid example of good grace work and is teaching, the other young men are doubly equipped to be good workmen in their labor. The 15th, First, and there's a second, but first, hardworking leaders make the case for industry and those they influence just by showing up. Why? Because when you have a hard worker around you, you know it. You can smell it. That's somebody that's being industrious. That's somebody that's on mission. That's someone that's on point. And there are two responses we have to that. Oh, that's a little bit, uh, I don't know, that... I just feel pressure around that person to be better and I don't want to be better. So we run. 
we get uncomfortable because we're challenged. And then there's the right answer. It's the rise of the challenge. Surround yourself with people you want to be like. And that might be that you have to surround yourself with people that are a little different from you because you might need to make some changes. It's good advice. Hardworking leaders make the case for industry and those they influence just by showing up. 16th, second, the teaching itself edifies the young men to see their work as God's work. The teaching itself edifies the young men to see. So we're teaching the word and that equips them, but we're also doing hard work in front of them and that equips them. And so what should church age believers be like who are in local churches? We should be the hardest working people. We should be very industrious. That's been called the Protestant work ethic. It's actually the Christian work ethic. It's Paul's. Work hard with your hands so you have something to share with others who are in need, right? We should be the best worker at the mill. We should be the best soldier on the firing line. We should be the best because of this Christian industrious ethic. Are my numbers off? Are they off yet? I think this, this version of the slideshow has them off. 17th, the teaching of Christ's deposit will put us all on mission. Are you with me? If we teach the Didache, the, the deposit of Jesus Christ, which we've been working through with the Apostle Paul and Peter and James and John, all that John wrote, if we'll, if we'll hold to the New Testament body of truth, which is built on the Old Testament body of truth. It arises right out of it. So the word of God, if we'll hold to that and we'll do it, not just learn it, we'll do it. We will be on mission. 18th, the quality of sound Christian teaching is designed to shut down those who speak against God's word. Did you notice that in verse nine? I'm sorry, in verse eight. So that the, the opponent will be put to shame having nothing bad to say about us. You're in a fishbowl and some of the people looking at the aquarium there are opposed, but you're already out there. You're already doing the work. So they don't really have anything to say. What's something they say about us? Hey, that's better. Yeah. Sorry, Joel. What's something they say about us? I was told, uh, you got a church, you got a store over there at the corner of old Chituckett and 165 there. You got a, you got a, you got a, a store you're running. What are you talking about? I know you're selling something over there. Boy, that really goes right up my back as we say. That's a, that, that is something that um, I'm not supposed to fight and stuff because we read Titus 1. But that makes me grit my teeth a little bit to say that we're selling something. Because you can't buy what we have. That's, that's the opposite of the gospel. Never give a dime to the local church until you understand that you can't get there by giving money. You're here to receive something. We have something to give you. That's all the difference. What else do they say about us? Pastors are money grubbers. They're beggars. This is true of holy men throughout the world. I had a friend that was evangelized by Campus Crusade for Christ back when they had a name that made sense. I don't know what crew is, but Campus Crusade for Christ, I know what that is. That's, that's a fogeyism. That's just mean. But anyway, I had a friend that was evangelized by them in Beijing or Qingdao. I think it was Qingdao. Anyway, wherever he was. And he said... Um, he was amazed when uh, the person in his English class told him he was a pastor. He was a Christian minister. And his only frame of reference for that was he was a monk. And the monks there are beggars. They're known as just beggars. They're always out drifting in the streets with their hands out. And he said, when the, when the crusade guy brought him to the headquarters and he went up in their office building in the 80s and they saw computers and office plants and desks and nice furniture, 
and uh, it looked like, a, like an American place of business. He said, these are scientifically advanced people. This isn't beggar monks drifting in the streets. And it, that right there gave the gospel hearing. Like he, he was listening now to what he said because he saw the American prosperity. Try that one on for size. But what do they say about us? They have all kinds of things they say about us. And God forbid that they were true. Literally, God forbid that, that any of these things were, were true about us. But the quality of sound Christian teaching is designed to shut down those who speak against God's word. And 19th, if we have a mismatch of our principles and our practices, if we're not living out what the word says, our failures subject the gospel to shame by those who are opposed. And make no mistake, it's just like water. It finds the hole in the bucket. The world is going to find the chink in our armor. So we really have to double down on exemplary good works living out the gospel, being on mission. Thank God, literally, thank God that he gave us his spirit so that we could be successful in his work. We're almost home. 20th, we serve in an adversarial environment. I wrote it on the screen and then I asked you to write it in the blank. A-D-V-E-R-S-A-R-I-A-L, adversarial. Ding. <laughs> I think I spelled that right. Adversarial. I like that word. I don't like being in an adversarial environment, but that's what we're in. The word there is adversary, and that's the English word that from the Hebrew is Satan. Satan is adversary. The one opposed. And he speaks against, in the New Testament, diabolos, devil. We're in an environment of Satan's fallen world where he has deceived the nations. And that means that you and I cannot look left and right and see how we need to be. We can look up to God. We can keep thinking on Christ, thinking on the things above where Christ is. We can keep our head in the word so that in this adversarial environment, we can take the initiative. And that's the next point. 21, the solid teaching of the word is assertive. It's assertive. It's not reactive. It's not defensive. It's assertive. This is how it is. You are a sinner. If you're a believer, you're saved by grace, but you're a sinner. And you're in a fallen, broken world administered by God's enemy who offered that world to Jesus, by the way, and the temptations of Christ. You're in, a, you're in an adversarial environment and you can't look on the news and find that out. You can look in the word and then hear the news and say, yeah, we're in an adversarial environment. It's assertive. We take the initiative in the, in the arena, according to what Paul says, when he says, if you teach correctly, then the opponent won't have anything to say bad about us because the people are going to be living out those things that are fitting for sound doctrine. 22, and finally, because it is a good offense, it is assertive, it is taking the initiative, it's also defensive. The teaching of the word is defensive in that it discourages the opposing argument. So you wanna, you wanna be a good soldier for Christ? You wanna be on mission? You gotta be in the word. And that's what Titus is being equipped to, to, to focus on. He's going to work hard and be an example. And in so being an example, he's going to be successful against those that are opposed. What I presented to you, hopefully, is a clear presentation of our philosophy of ministry at Preston City Bible Church. Why? Because it's the word, not my ideas. I'm trying to distill what it's saying. And these, no, and these points, but it's the word that is going to make the difference. It's the word that's going to change our hearts. It's the word that's going to stabilize us. It's the word that is going to shut down those who contradict. 
with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. In some churches in the past, it's popular to ask you to walk down the aisle. And by doing that, you would show that you were believing in Christ like you were coming down to Jesus. In this church, we have always asked you to bow your head and close your eyes because your salvation is a matter between you and God. It is really between you and Him. And we want to know, but we want you to know more. Standing on the precipice of life and death, a man in desperate straits asked the right man, asked Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? And I've told you already, but I'll restate it again. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your house. The only hope is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter says that. The Apostle Paul tells Timothy that in 1 Timothy. He's our only hope. So what do I do with Jesus? Well, that is all the question. You believe in the name of the only begotten son because other than that is judgment for you and me. If you can say, I am placing my faith, I am trusting for my eternal life in Jesus Christ as my savior, the one who paid for my sins on the cross and rose from the dead to offer me this eternal life. If you can say that, you have eternal life. And I, when I say say it, I mean, if this is true for you. You are not saved by praying a prayer. You are not saved by repeating after me and saying these words. You are definitely not saved by raising your hand, by giving money, by feeling bad about your sins, by any of these things that might go along with a faith in Christ. What you're saved by, by God's design, is the open hands of faith where I say, I receive Christ as my Savior. I'm placing my faith, my trust only in Him. Father, we thank you for the eternal life that you secured for us through the work of Christ on the cross. Thank you that he lives ever to intercede for us and lives ever to save those who trust in him. Father, we do ask you to strengthen that faith as we consider these things, as we, we seek to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.